Amen. Thanks, Chris. Would you uh, thank my stunt double for... Apparently, the rest of you did not get the memo about the black polo shirt and jeans that you were supposed to wear. So somebody else did. Two of you did. Awesome. Way to go. The rest of you were not paying attention to the memo. It's funny. I came in this morning and looked at him and went, oh, wow, we're going to do this today, aren't we? This is awesome. So when the message gets difficult, you know, I'm going to bring my stunt double in. So don't blink. So like Chris might be here and he might say something like uh, placker instead of palaka. <laughs> so if you hear that, that's him, not me. So anyway, sorry, derail myself by my corny jokes. So we are at the end of our two-week fast, and I want to say to you, congratulations. So those of you who have engaged our fast with us, way to go. I know a number of you started a week early, so you're ending a three-week fast. So whether you ended a two-week fast, a three-week fast, you set aside one item, you set aside a lot of food items, it doesn't matter. Congratulations to you on engaging one of the most difficult spiritual disciplines there are to engage. You know, not a lot of Christ followers engage that spiritual discipline. You know, sometimes we look at that and go, yeah, that was one of those ancient things. You know, they did that thousands of years ago. I'm not so sure we should be doing that today. And yet it is still as beneficial to us today as it was when Jesus actually did it himself. So way to go on that. And here's what I encourage you to do as you're coming out of your fast. I encourage you to pace yourself especially those of you who have gone two weeks without food. Do not go to Golden Corral later today, okay? It will not be good for you. Uh, It really won't. You will hate that for weeks to come. So be careful, pace yourselves. And uh, usually at the end of our fast, uh, we celebrate communion together. But we've decided to move our communion time to the end of our series that we're in right now. So uh, if you were expecting communion this morning, I'm sorry to to disappoint, but come back in two weeks. We're going to be celebrating communion as we wrap up this series that we're in. So um, let me just say another thing. Our elders have been praying for you throughout this fast, and I can't tell you what a privilege it is enough for us to pray for you. Uh, You have submitted all kinds of of prayer cards, and we've taken those cards, and we've photocopied them, so each elder has a copy of all of them, and we pray page by page, card by card, and it really is an honor. There's a number of you battling some significant things, and I want you to know we stand with you for that. And we've been praying for God to help you overcome that obstacle that you're facing in your life. So it's a real honor. As you have prayer needs that you would like us to pray for you with, uh, stop by at the back of our table, close to our giving boxes, there's a prayer card. Just fill that out, slide that in the giving box, and our elders will get that, and we would love to pray for you. Now, our fast is over, but our series continues And if you're new with us, we're in this series called Overcomer. And we're trying to learn and see ourselves the way that God sees us. We're trying to to learn from the reality of what scripture teaches. The Bible teaches that if you are a Christ follower, if you've put your faith and trust in Jesus as your Lord and Savior, then the Holy Spirit lives inside of you. And our theme verse for this series is 1 John 4, 4, which says in part, greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. So if you've put your faith in Jesus, then when God looks at you, he sees an overcomer. Not because you've got great strength, but because great strength is in you. So we're trying to learn from that. We're trying to tap into that as we walk through this series together. Now, 
So far in this series, we've looked at overcoming our past. And I'm not going to ask for a raise of hands, but everyone here has got a past issue that you need to overcome. God wants to help you overcome that thing. We've talked in this series about overcoming fear. And fear is something that many of us can identify with. And it it causes us to do all kinds of weird things in life when we're held back by that obstacle of fear. God wants to help us overcome the fear that's in our lives. We've talked about temptation. And all of us wrestle with temptation to some degree or another. There's some shiny thing that you like that the enemy dangles. And you go, ooh, look at that. Everybody has that. Everybody has a temptation of some degree. And God wants to help us overcome that. Now, today we're going to talk about overcoming doubt, another thing that often holds people back in their relationship with God. Now, today, maybe we've got some folks here that would say, you know what, I I would consider myself a doubter. Maybe you consider yourself a skeptic. Um, Maybe someone at work has been inviting you to church for months, and you're here today to get them off your back. Or maybe you lost a bet. And uh, you're here out of obligation. So thanks for you know, fulfilling that obligation if you lost your bet. Um, but let me just uh, reassure you of something. If you don't consider yourself a Christ follower, if you say, you know what, I don't buy into all that belief system. I'm not really sure about all that. Don't worry. We don't have any Kool-Aid. I'm not going to try to get you to drink it this morning. Okay? So you can just relax. Here's what my goal is for you today. I want to start a conversation with you. And I ask that you just listen with open ears and, and just really engage and listen and see where this conversation just might take you. Uh, I think this message just might surprise you just a little bit. Now, when it comes to faith and doubt, we often see them as two separate things. You know, we, we look at the issue of faith and doubt and we say, there are some people that have faith and there are some people that have doubt And if you are a person of faith, well, you can't have any doubt. And if you're a person of doubt, well, you couldn't have any faith because, you know, that would be uh, hypocritical for a person of faith to have doubt or a person of doubt to have faith. But I think we're going to see today that faith and doubt are more closely related than we really understand. Now, let me illustrate it this way by asking a few questions. How many of you would say you have some measure of faith in your life. Little faith, a lot of faith, some measure of faith. Okay, so the reality is all of us have some degree of faith. You're exercising faith right now. When you sit in those, those uncomfortable, sorry, those you know, really comfortable benches, as you sit there, you're exercising a measure of faith as you sit there. Okay, I don't see anybody cautiously sitting there thinking, it's about to give way. You know, I'm about to, to land on the floor. So no, I mean, you're sitting there fairly confident. You're exercising faith in that. Now you may say, well, it's kind of easy because you know, I've seen these benches. I've sat on these benches for months and I understand I've been able to test this out and, and prove that this thing will hold me up. So I get that, but you're still exercising faith. Someone who says, you know what? There is no God out there. Like, I don't believe there's a God at all. That's exercising faith. That's faith in a belief system. Someone who says, you know, there is a God and I believe in him. That's exercising faith. We all have a certain amount of faith that we exercise on a regular basis. Now, how many of you would say that you have a measure of doubt in life? Little doubt, a lot of doubt, you've got some doubt. Okay, so the same thing is true. We all have doubts. 
We all have questions. And a person of faith who says, I don't have any doubts, I don't have any questions, is lying. Because any time they don't follow what God says in Scripture, any time a Christ follower says, I don't want to do what God says in the Bible, we're doubting God. We're doubting his goodness. We're doubting his plan. We're doubting something about God and our relationship. So the reality is we all have doubts. And the truth is, Faith and doubt are more like opposite sides of a coin than they are two totally separate things altogether. Now, on a personal level, I have faith. And you would say, as a pastor, that's probably a really good thing for me to have faith, right? And I would say, I have doubt. And you might think, you know, as a pastor, not so sure. That's a great thing. Let me explain If you were to ask me why I have faith in God, I would point to what feels like an infinite number of proofs for the existence of God. For example, when I think about our universe and how big it is, I believe in God. You know, the reality is here we are, like sitting on this thing called the earth, this ball that floats in space. And, you know, we're just sitting in this little building. Earth is pretty big. But you compare the earth to our Milky Way galaxy, and the earth's pretty small. Compare a galaxy to all the other galaxies that are out there, and we get even smaller. So when we look at those images that the Hubble telescope sends back to us. And we've got these, these pictures of deep space. When I look at that stuff and I see the majesty of creation and how big and vast the universe is and how small we are, I believe in God. Like nothing else explains that for me. Nothing else adequately explains creation for me other than a loving creator And when I think about the intricate systems that make our earth work, I believe in God. So past few days, we've seen this stuff called rain, right? So clouds form, and then out of the clouds come this rain, and it produces this stuff. You know, the rain is water, and we need water for life. If we don't have water, you don't have life. And so that rain comes down, it fills the lakes, the rivers, and the oceans, and then we drink that, and it provides life to us. Animals drink it, plants drink it, we eat the plants, I mean, there's a little cycle going on there. And then some of that water evaporates back up into the sky, and guess what? It comes back down in the form of rain. It's like amazing. Now, the water cycle is way more complicated than that, but when I think about the intricate systems of our world and how they're put together to work so perfectly, I believe in God. And I think about the miracle of life. I believe in God. You know, uh, Tim Jones and uh, his wife, Sarah, Sarah had the baby. Tim was just there watching. But they, they recently had a baby, little baby Caleb. And uh, we went down to visit them. And I saw Caleb, this little guy, and got to hold him for, for a moment. It was an awesome experience. I believed in God again. I mean, it was just this reminder of the power of creation and God's intricate design of each one of us. And it, it flashed me back to my kids, my four kids while they were born. And you know, every time we were there, I'm just like, wow, no way. Like, I can't believe this. I mean, life, you know, genes for me, genes for my wife come together, form cells. Those cells divide and divide and divide. And then you've got this pre-wired personality that comes out. And I know like, each one of my kids, they're like, they're different. And they come out with these pre-wired personalities. And when I see them and I watch them grow, Oh, I believe in God. 
Like nothing else out there adequately explains the miracle of birth for me like a loving creator. Now, if you were to ask me about my doubts, there would be some things that I would point to. When I look around our world and I see the evil that's out there and I watch how evil people do evil things, I struggle. I struggle with some doubts. When I think about this thing called human trafficking and whether you're aware of that or not, there are an estimation of 27 plus million people today enslaved against their will, bought and sold like we would buy furniture, bought and sold human beings. There's some concern for our Super Bowl. I don't know if you know kind of the the secret life that happens around big events like that, but there are many women and children brought to the Super Bowl to servicemen in a sexual nature because they're slaves. When I think about that stuff, I mean, it, it grosses me out. I mean, I have a hard time when I think about the depravity of humanity and how evil people can be. I have some doubts. On a smaller scale, when my sister-in-law was ready to give birth to her fourth child, I mean, she was days away from giving birth. The umbilical cord wrapped around the baby's neck and strangled the baby days before she was to be born. And, you know, I, I look at that and, and think, why? Like, what was that all about? Like, how does that fit into God's overall plan? I don't get it. And I think about my dad, my dad passing away. Uh, My dad passed away at 62 from leukemia. At the age of 51, I was in college, and and I I got a call uh, from my family, and uh, we had a conversation about my dad being diagnosed with leukemia. He was told he would live two years. He lived 11, which was fantastic, Um, But my dad, uh, when I was young, he walked away from a very profitable career to become a full-time missionary. So if you're not familiar with that, I mean, it was like raising support. So it was like they got money by people saying, I'll give money to you so you can go tell other people about Jesus. And so it was a faith system that my parents lived on ever since I was three years old. And so I look at my dad and the decisions that he made to walk away from that and to pursue God and to live for God with all of his his life. And I wonder, how does that fit in? How does leukemia fit into that? Like, why did that happen to my dad? You know, like, here my dad is trying to serve God with all of his heart and lead his family in that direction. And then he gets this disease that takes his life. Like, I, I don't get that. And I think if we're all honest, we all have our own doubts about things, of experiences we've had or questions that we might have about life. And I think at the bottom of our doubts is a single question. And I think that question is this, why? Why? I think all of our doubt questions are really why questions. Like, why did that have to happen? Why do evil people do evil things? Why is there so much pain and suffering in the world? Why do bad things happen to good people? And why do good things happen to bad people? Again, generally, there's a why question behind our doubts. And I think there's another question behind our doubts, and it's this. Is it possible to have doubts and to still have faith? Is it possible for those two things to be more closely related? Or if we have doubts, are, are we sentenced to an existence of faithlessness? 
I mean, if we have some doubts, do we have to say, listen, I just have to live a doubt-filled life because I have these things, I can't have faith? Or is it possible for us to somehow merge those two things? Now, I think it really is possible for us to merge our, our doubts and our faith and to move forward with God in significant ways. I think Jesus' disciples did that. And we're gonna look at that in just a moment. But if you, if you think about faith, faith in and of itself implies doubt, Like they go hand in hand. You can't have one without the other. Because faith is this thing where we say, I'm gonna take a step of trust in a direction, even when everything else around me says, don't do it. I'm gonna take this step of faith and I'm I'm gonna hope and pray that God is there to be the ground that I step on when I take that step. But hope and faith and doubt, they go hand in hand. And you might be interested to know that Jesus' disciples wrestled with lots of doubt in moments. There were moments they had this huge faith, and then there were moments they were just riddled with doubt. And so this morning, I just want to just take a a short journey uh, together and look at the time that they had with Jesus. Jesus gathered 12 of them. He went through the crowds, and he selected, I'll take you, and I'll take you, and yeah, you can be my follower, and you Yeah, no, not you, like you, the one behind you. So he selected 12 and spent three and a half years pouring his life into them and showing them, proving to them again and again and again that he was God in the flesh. And they got to see Jesus heal many diseases, cast out demons, which is something we don't fully understand today, raise the dead. And can you imagine standing with Jesus in a cemetery and seeing a dead person come back to life? Like, I'm going, I'm with him. Like, whatever he says, I'm with him. That's really cool. So if he's got that kind of power, you know, I I would think that would take away a lot of doubt when you're there to watch. So Jesus' disciples, they got a front row seat for many things that would take away most people's doubts. And they would say, there's no question who this guy is. There's no question who he is. Even the demons respond to his authority. So they watch Jesus for three and a half years do what only Jesus could do, and then doubt crept in. See, the Jewish leaders arrested Jesus because he claimed to be the son of God, made himself equal with God, so they arrested him. They turned him over to the Roman officials, and they demanded that he be crucified. And so just when things were going so well, I mean, you know, like a week before his death, I mean, everybody in Jerusalem was celebrating Jesus. A week later, they all wanted him killed. And so he died, and his disciples were lost. They were doubting. They were questioning they're wondering, why? Why is this happening? And that's often what happens in our lives when we face tragedy. When tragedy strikes, a lot of us start to doubt. We start to question and we get confused. We start asking, why? Why would God allow this suffering in my life? Like, why would God allow me to lose everything? Why would God allow my family to fall apart? Why would God allow my health to fail or my loved one to die or me to be in this situation? It's just not fair. Like I've been doing the right things and I ended up in this difficult situation. Why? We ask a lot of why questions when tragedy strikes and Jesus' disciples were asking those same questions. And after his death, they were in shock. They were in doubt. 
And then the book of John, chapter 20, verse 19, it says, that Sunday evening, the disciples were meeting behind locked doors because they were afraid of the Jewish leaders. And suddenly, Jesus was standing there among them. Peace be with you, he said. As he spoke, he showed them the wounds in his hands and his side. They were filled with joy when they saw the Lord. Again, he said, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, so I am sending you. And then verse 24 says, one of the 12 disciples, a guy named Thomas, he wasn't there when Jesus came. And the disciples, the other disciples told him, hey, we have seen the Lord. And he replied, I'm not going to believe that. I won't believe unless I see the nail wounds in his hands. I put my fingers into them and place my hand into the wounds in his side. And some of you are in Thomas's spot. Like, you know how Thomas felt. You're there. You want proof. You don't want to just believe that God loves you because some bald pastor says God loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life. Like, you're not that gullible, you know? You don't want to just believe that. Somebody at the office says, hey, you know, God loves you. And you're like, cool, good for you. But you want proof. You want real, verifiable proof. Like, you want to put your hands on Jesus. You want to see a miracle in your life. You don't want to just believe in anything. That's how Thomas felt. And when I think about Thomas's response after what just happened, after you know, that three and a half year journey and then watching Jesus die and the confusion that they were in, I mean, Thomas's response makes a lot of sense to me. I mean, it makes more sense to me now than it has before. See, they'd given up everything to follow Jesus. I mean, they'd left their families, they'd left their homes, their businesses, their community, and they had put all their hopes and trust in Jesus. They thought this was the guy. This was the guy who was going to free the nation of Israel from the oppression of the Romans. And then he died. Like, how does that fit into their plans? How does that fit into their story, what, what they thought God was going to do and so Thomas, he didn't want to give in to hope. I mean, he, he had hoped when Jesus came, he had a lot of faith and he was hoping in Jesus and then his hopes were crushed. He didn't want to give in to hope again. And you might be in that spot. You might be in that spot today where you're afraid to hope. You're afraid to give in to the hope that Jesus offers because you've ridden that emotional roller coaster ride and you know what hope can do. You ride that emo emotional roller coaster ride, maybe in your health, thinking, you know, maybe this doctor will be the doctor that can help me. Maybe this treatment will be the one that will get me out of this pain that I'm in. Or maybe this book will fix my marriage finally. Or, or maybe my parents will finally re resolve their differences and our family gatherings won't be so awkward anymore. And we get together for Christmas or, or Thanksgiving or Easter, it just won't be so crazy anymore. Maybe this new relationship will be the one, or maybe this new job will be the one, or, or maybe this will be the month that God will answer that prayer I've been praying for years, and yet it doesn't happen. And so we get a little afraid of hope to give in to that. We want proof. We don't want to just hope in anything. Well, verse 26 of John 20 says, eight days later, the disciples were together again, and this time Thomas was with them. The doors were locked, but suddenly, as before, Jesus was standing among them. Peace be with you, he said. And then he said directly to Thomas. So you know, get the scene. He walks straight up to Thomas. He says, Thomas, like, put your finger here. 
Look at my hands. Put your hand into the wound in my side. Don't be faithless any longer. Believe. And Jesus went directly to Thomas to help Thomas resolve his doubts in that moment. He answered his questions. He gave Thomas the proof that he needed. And then Thomas, in response, said, my Lord and my God, I have nothing else to say. You, you are who you said you were. You're the man. You're God in the flesh. My Lord and my God. And Jesus responded and said, you believe because you see me. Like, you can touch me, and that, that's helped you believe. But blessed are those who believe and they haven't seen. Jesus was talking about many of us here today. If you believe in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, Jesus was talking about you way back then. And I truly believe that Jesus wants to resolve our doubts. I, I think he wants to give us the answers to the questions that we have. He wants to give us the real evidence that we're looking for, but here's what God wants us to do. He wants us to bring those doubts to him. He wants us to bring those questions to him. And that's a difficult thing for a lot of us to do. But he says, listen, I have real answers. I want you to come to me. Now, there's a guy that a few of you might know, but most of you probably don't. His, his name is Lee Strobel. And Lee was an investigative journalist with the Chicago Tribune and an atheist. He said, I, there's no God, absolutely no God. And his wife became a believer in Jesus and she started attending church. And Lee said, listen, here's what I'm gonna do. Uh, I'm gonna put all of my investigative skills to work and I'm gonna prove to you that your faith in Jesus is worthless. And so he went on a journey with a desire and an intent to prove to his wife, this is just worthless. Like you shouldn't believe in God. You shouldn't put your hope. You shouldn't put your faith in him. Well, after two years of in-depth study, Lee came to this conclusion. He said, you know what? It takes more faith for me not to believe in God than it does for me to believe in God. He said, I've done the research. I've asked the questions. I've done all the, the hard work that, that most of us would want to do. And I've come to the conclusion that he really is who he says he is. He became a believer in, in Jesus. He brought his faith, his doubts to God, and God gave him the proof that he needed. God brought faith to him. And you know the reality is many people are like Lee. They're in that spot where they have doubts and they have questions and legitimate questions and legitimate doubts. And here's a danger when we have questions and doubts. Sometimes we don't bring those doubts to God. Sometimes we don't bring those questions to God. Sometimes we use those things as a defense mechanism. Someone brings up a faith issue and we go, oh yeah, but what about this? Can't answer that question, that's too hard. What about this? And what about this? Sometimes we use our doubts to keep God at a distance. I've got a friend from high school that does that a lot. Anytime a faith issue comes out, he's got a doubt issue to combat it with. And I think sometimes we do that because if we take a step and really investigate and get an honest answer, we just might have to change something. We just might have to change a belief that we have, which might mean we have to change a way that we live in some way. So if you have doubts, that's fine. If you have questions, that's great. God isn't bothered by those, those things. He wants us to bring our questions to him because he has real answers. 
If you really want to know, he has real answers for you. Now, I've got some recommendations for those of you who may be here this morning and say, listen, I've got some doubts. I'm not really sure about this whole God thing and faith thing. I've got some great recommendations that, uh, that I strongly encourage you to take me up on and check out. So the first one is a book that Lee Strobel actually wrote as a result of his two-year investigation. It's called The Case for Christ. And so in this book, I mean, he's really looking for an answer on, is Jesus really who he said he was? He said he was God in the flesh. Is he really who he said he was? And so he investigated, he asked all kinds of experts, he dug deep in scripture, he dug deep in other places, and this is the summary of his study. So if you like, like real specific answers for specific questions, then you will enjoy that book, The Case for Christ. Now he wrote another book called The Case for Faith, uh, and in this book, he answers some big questions about God, like why is there so much pain and suffering in the world? How can God allow evil to exist? Why would a loving God create a place called hell and, and other questions of that nature? Maybe you've asked some questions like that. Well, he's asked them and he's gotten some, some great honest answers. That'd be another great book for you to check out. Another book I recommend is called Faith and Doubt. It's by John Ortberg. And in this book, John makes the case that faith and doubt cannot fully be separated, and that real questions can lead to greater understanding, and that real doubt can lead to a trust that we can hold on to very firmly. So I encourage you to, to stop by our Connection Center before you leave today. You don't have to write all those things down. I have them captured. Uh, see, some of you are writing. I've got them captured for you, so you don't have to worry about that. On our spiritual growth challenge that you can pick up at our Connection Center, or you can download from our website later today, those books are, are listed there as a recommendation. Now, you may say, well, you know what? I doubt those are going to answer my questions. Cool. That's Okay. I'm not trying to take your doubts from you. I'm trying to give you some answers. I'm trying to provide an opportunity where you can get some answers. But here's what I, I dare you. I double dog dare you to get one of those books and read it and see what God does on that journey of answering some of the doubts that you might have. Now, there's another group of people here that I'd like to talk to today. Uh, some of you have been asking your questions for years. And you've done some research. You've gotten some, some really good answers. In fact, there's probably not an answer that you haven't heard already. Like, I could probably never tell you something that you haven't already heard. You probably say, yeah, I heard that. Yep, I heard that one. Yeah, I got that one. Yeah, and over in John, it says that thing. Yeah, yeah, I heard that. So maybe you've done your research. Um, and maybe your step today is simply to believe. Like, maybe you're at that edge of faith, and God is just saying, like, you've done all your study. It's time. It's time for you to take that step of faith towards me. Put your faith and trust in me. Hebrews 11.6 says, it is impossible to please God without faith. Anyone who wants to come to him must believe that God exists and that he rewards those who sincerely seek him. God will reward you as you take a step in his direction. God will reward you as you sincerely, I think keyword, sincerely seek after him. Now, uh, many of us know the, of the name Billy Graham, but you may not know some of his story. So Billy Graham, a great Christian evangelist, had a, a major influence around the world, has, has preached to millions of people about the, the message of Jesus Christ, the hope of Jesus Christ. 
Well, Billy Graham has wrestled with his own faith and doubt issues, especially early in his career. As he was starting off in ministry, uh, he began to wrestle with faith and doubt. And it actually came from a friend of his. See, Dr. Graham had a really close friend named Charles Templeton. And they began together. They were uh, both preachers. And so they preached together at these early conferences that they called crusades. And it was thought that Charles Templeton was a better preacher than Billy. And they thought he would have a bigger name down the road than Billy Graham would. And Charles started to question his faith. And he started to look in the Bible and said, you know, all of this can't be true. And he started to think, you know, parts might be true. Another, another part might not be true. His faith started to waver. And as he was battling with doubt, he got to a point where he saw a picture of a mom from Africa with her little baby dying because they didn't have enough food. And he concluded, there can't be a God out there because what God would allow that to happen when all this woman needed was rain? That's all she needed was rain. So he said, there can't be a God out there. So he took another huge step away from faith. We had a huge influence over Billy Graham, and Billy started to question his faith. As, as Charles said, listen, Billy, you can't trust all that. You can't trust the Bible. Come on. I mean, it's outdated. You can't trust that thing. Billy started to wrestle with faith issues, and here he is, a preacher standing up to preach to people about putting their faith and trust in Jesus and what the scriptures say about him. So he began a journey of studying and researching. I mean, he read more in the Bible. He read people on both sides of the argument. He read as much as he could, and he got to the end of that. And he got to the point, after struggling deeply and studying deeply, he knelt down before God, and he prayed something like this. Oh, God, there are many things in this book I do not understand. There are many problems with it for which I have no solution. I, mean, I can't answer some of the questions Chuck and the others are raising. And he took a step. He said, Father, I'm going to accept this as your word by faith. I'm going to allow faith to go beyond my intellectual questions and doubts, and I will believe this is your inspired word. And this is what he said happened next. When I got up from my knees, I sensed the presence and power of God as I had not uh, sensed it in months not all of my questions were answered, but a major bridge had been crossed. In my heart and mind, I knew a spiritual battle in my soul had been fought and won. Dr. Graham did all of his research. He got the edge of this faith cliff, and he had to make a decision. Do I step in this direction towards God, or do I step away? And maybe that's where you are today. Maybe you're at that spot that spot. You've been asking these questions and, and you can probably give better faith answers than many Christians can. So what are you going to do with that? Are you going to take a step today and put your faith and trust fully in Jesus Christ and stop straddling the fence? Or are you just going to take a leap of faith today and trust God? I think Jesus is saying the same thing to you that he said to Thomas. It's time to simply believe and stop all this doubting. In a moment, I'm going to guide us through a short prayer where if you've never put your faith and trust in Jesus, you can do that. But there's one more group I want to talk to before we close today. For those of you who have already put your faith and trust in Jesus, you'd say, listen, I, you know, I'm a card-carrying member. You know, I believe in Jesus. I, I believe that he's God in the flesh. 
You know, I've put my faith in him. If that's you, what doubts do you have? Like, what are you doubting right now? Either about God or about yourself? Are you doubting God's ability to use you in some significant way? Or doubting your ability to be healed by him? Or your ability to overcome that temptation that may be in your life? Or your ability to really live like Jesus? Or or, are you doubting that that relational conflict in your life can really be solved? What are you doubting today? And will you take a step towards God with your doubt, asking him to help you resolve that thing? Now, in a moment, our worship team is going to come out and they're going to lead us through a relatively new song. It's called Oceans. I mean, I've been listening to it all week. It's a great song. Um, But let me read the uh, opening lines from this song. It's, it's by a group called Hillsong United, if you want to check it out later. The song starts off by, this, by saying this, you call me out upon the waters, the great unknown where feet may fail. It's where God calls us. Like there's, you're at the edge, you're at that cliff. You know, I, I got to decide. I've done my research. I either have to step in this direction of faith towards God or I have to step away And then it says, and there I find you in the mystery. In oceans deep, my faith will stand. I think that's what God is asking for all of us to do, to take a step of faith. And there's a promise that we'll find him in the mystery as we step in his direction. So um, here's what I encourage you to do. I encourage you to use this song as a prayer this morning and decide what action step you need to take from this message and then take that step. If it's get a book, get a book. If it's take a step of faith, do that. If it's trust God with a doubt issue, then do that this morning. Now, for those of you who may have never put your faith and trust in Jesus, but you would like to do so today, there's a card around you. I encourage you to grab that card for just a moment. I'm going to read through this prayer. A dependence upon God can be as simple as, as this prayer that we're about to read. Nothing magical about the words. It's the sincerity of our hearts in that moment. So just read along with me as I read through this. God, I I admit that I'm a sinner in need of a savior. I believe you died so I can live. I have doubts, but I'm bringing my doubts to you. Help me overcome my doubts and experience the life you've designed for me. In Jesus' name, amen. I mean, that's how that prayer can go. So here's what I encourage you to do. If you need to pray that prayer this morning, during this song, I encourage you to pray that. And then at the end of the service, I encourage you to take that card and slip it into one of our giving boxes before you leave today. And what's gonna happen is that card is gonna get to our elder team and we will pray for you. If you want us to know who you are, write your name down. If you don't, it doesn't matter. Just slip the card in there and we would love to pray for you on your new journey in your relationship with God. So we all have a measure of faith. We all have a measure of doubt. And God wants us to bring both of those things to him so he can strengthen our faith and help us resolve our doubts. So let's pray together. Lord, we all have faith of some degree. And we all have a certain amount of doubt in our lives. And I think as as Billy Graham said, we have doubt about things on this earth. So it's normal for us to doubt 
things of you. Lord, you're not bothered by our doubts. You're not concerned by them. You're not afraid of our questions. You have real answers. God, you ask that we bring our doubts to you, that we come to you, and you want to prove to us. You want to give us those answers for those questions that we're asking, just like you did, Jesus, with Thomas, where you gave him the real proof that he needed. And I I believe that you want to do that for all of us. You want to prove yourself to us in real, practical ways. So Lord, for all of us here today, we all have to take a, a faith step in your direction. We have to decide whether to do that. Some people are taking a, a step uh, and trusting that you're going to answer some questions as they get one of these books. For others this morning, this is the, the moment where they're taking that leap of faith to trust you with their lives and a new relationship with Jesus Christ. And then there are others who are taking a step, or we're believers, and yet we still have doubt. And you want us to bring those doubts to you so you can strengthen our faith and help us resolve our doubts. Lord, here we are stepping towards you. Help us with our doubts. In Jesus' name, amen. All righty, good morning, everybody. How are you? I hope you're doing well. My name is Chris Seppi. For those of you that don't know me, and I've just got a couple announcements for you. I heard a woo out there. Is my wife here? Okay. <laughs> well, first of all, I just want to say to everybody, if you're participating in our two-week fast, stay strong. We only got one week left. So, yeah, I know Joe King had a steak for breakfast, right? So, anyway. Um, no, seriously. It ended this morning. Thank goodness. I hope it was a great experience for you, because it was for me. Speaking about great experiences, we've got an opportunity for one of our Go Missions trips. Our Go Guatemala trip that leaves on August the 2nd, we have a few openings. So if you've been thinking about it or just kind of thinking, should I go, should I not go, there are just a couple of openings. Go online to theepicchurch.com, download your application, get that back in this week, and it's going to be a great, great time. So we encourage you to go. We'd love to have you with us. You know, each year in the U.S., Billions of pounds of food go to waste, and millions of Americans go hungry. But we here at Epic want to bridge that hunger gap. So we're going to be doing something called gleaning. Gleaning is a biblical practice of gathering produce from the fields that would otherwise be left to rot. And what it is, it's maybe an orange little bruise or just a piece of citrus that's not perfect in, in, in the way it's formed in our standards in America, but it's totally edible food. So we've partnered with a landowner out in Palaka. We're going to take a group of people, and this is a great serving opportunity for kids and students. We're going to take a group of people on February the 22nd, and we're going to go out to Placker, and we're going to gather a ton of produce, as much as we can. We're then going to take that produce and go to Grace Community Food Pantry. You guys have heard us talk about that before. We're going to deliver that to Grace Community Food Pantry, and then they're going to distribute it to those in need. So if you're interested in doing that, go online. February 18th is the deadline for the February 22nd event. Get registered, get signed up. If you're not sure about driving all the way out there, for those of you who want a carpool, the morning of the 22nd, we're going to go over to Target parking lot, closest to Walgreens, at 8 a.m., and then we'll go ahead and convoy out from there. So feel free to get involved with that. Starting point. Some of you have signed up for starting point, have not picked up your materials yet. Please see either Tim Jones or Renee, somebody in the back over there where the starting point materials are. Pick those up. It begins next week, so you're going to need that material. And for those of you who have been through Starting Point, you're ready for our next event. It's called Group Link. 
Grouplink is a, an event that we're going to have on February 9th over at PC3, or Palm Coast Community Church, at 7 p.m. So that's next week at 7 p.m. And what that is, it's an opportunity for you to get involved in either a men's, a woman's, or a couple's community group. So get pre-registered online or see Tim Jones in the back and he can work that out with you. I encourage you, if you've been through Starting Point, get involved. It's an awesome, awesome thing. And if you are a middle school or high school student and you're saying to yourself, well, I can't go to Group Link, don't worry, we've got something for you. Cody Anderson and his crew are taking a group of kids over to Big Stuff Camp this summer. It is an awesome time. I know my son is just... He's so pumped. He's just raring to go. So he wants me to like, all right, we're going. Let's pack to now. Uh, well, we're not packing now. It's actually the summer. So um, get, get here on February 16th. There's going to be an informational meeting after each one of our services. So I don't have a whole lot for you. Cody or one of his reps will have that for you. But come here on the 16th after each service. We'll have the information. So middle school or high school students, if you're here or if you know one, make sure they're here on the 16th so they get that information and we can plan that trip for Big Stuff Camp. And here at Epic, you hear us talk about, you know, that people matter to God and people matter to us. And we at Epic love to pour out into our community, our times, our talents, and our resources. So if you want to support us in doing that, there are two ways you can do that. If you go to theepicchurch.com, which is our website, you can go ahead and click on the giving tab. Or at the end of each row, you'll see a brown box on one of the tables. Those are our giving boxes. Feel free to participate in one of those. And if you're new with us today, over in the corner in the back over there is our Connection Center. Stop over there, pick up a little bit of material. It tells you a little bit more about who we are and what we're all about here at Epic. Okay, so we are finishing up our, we're not finishing, but we're continuing our Overcomer series. So as Trent comes out here, if you uh, would just take part in a word of prayer with me before Trent begins the service. God, I just thank you for today. I just thank you for Trent, Lord. Uh, I'm just so excited to have him come out here and preach your word about overcoming um, and Lord, we know that, like you said in, in John, you said, here on earth, you will have many trials and sorrows, but take heart because I have overcome the world. And you have, Lord, you are our great healer, our great teacher, our great coach, our great father. And I just thank you for that, Lord. You are just so awesome. And I know that any time that I'm in need or I'm in trouble, if I put my faith in you, Lord, that it'll make that situation better. So thanks for who you are, Lord. Be with Trent today. I pray that you would change hearts and minds as they listen to his message. I pray this in Jesus' powerful name. Amen.